Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Church Times podcast. I'm Ed Thornton, Assistant Editor. This week we're posting an interview with Professor John Swinton, whose book Dementia, Living the Memories of God, won the 2016 Michael Ramsey Prize. His latest book, Becoming Friends of Time, is published by SCM Press. So yeah, John Swinton, I'm going to ask you first about your new book, Becoming Friends of Time, Disability, Timefulness and Gentle Discipleship. Um, many of our readers will know you for your book, Dementia, Living in the Memories of God, which won the Michael Ramsey Prize last year. Um, would you be able to tell us what the relationship is between the two books? Well, the relationship would be that both of them, in some senses, push into the ways in which uh, certain forms of neurological damage, certain forms of neurological experience, change our way of thinking about what it means to be a human being. So the dementia book pushes against the idea that we are what we remember and begins to explore the fact that actually we are who we are as we're remembered by God. And so therefore our identity is always held but simply beyond ourselves. So even if we have significant neurological damage, we still don't lose ourselves in the way that we sometimes speak about dementia in that way. We actually are always held in our identity by, by God. Um, and the Friends of Time book kind of, in some senses, uh, develops that by focusing on three different forms of um, neurological uh, conditions, profound intellectual disability, um, uh, uh, traumatic brain injury, and advanced dementia, and exploring the ways in which our theological reflection on the experiences of people with these experiences actually shifts and changes our understanding of what time is, how time should be lived, and ultimately what it means to be a discipleship who functions and performs a vocation within uh, God's time. And the book talks about clock time and God's time and says they're radically different. Could you explain yeah. the differences between them? Yeah, well, I mean, clock time's interesting because if you think about it, I, I think about me today. Before I even got out of my bed, I had looked at three clocks and my watch and my computer and my alarm clock, and then I go downstairs and watch another clock, and then I have to go to the airport and watch another clock. All day long, you're surrounded by clocks. And the problem is that time tends to rule you rather than you rule time. So we all have deadlines. We're always living in the future, always racing towards the future, and it becomes really oppressive. And I'm sure that one of the reasons why there's so much anxiety and and sadness in, in, in Western culture in particular is because we're always... Uh, chasing a, an elusive goal which is formed by time and which we can never achieve. Whereas God's time is, is much quieter, much slower. You know, it, it, 40 years in the wilderness is God's basic educational strategies, so says Kisaku Kiyama, a, a Japanese theologian. But there's something very beautiful about that, that, that actually there's a slowness uh, in time. Uh, uh, and if we can ca- lock into that time, our perspectives of one another begins to change. So what these kind of severe neurological conditions remind us of is that the only way that you can love one another is by slowing down and taking time for those things that the world considers to be trivial and meaningless and, and pointless, a waste of time in that sense. And so what the book tries to do is to recognise that time is always a gift, it's something that's given to us and something that's manifested in the, the, the life and the ministry and the redemptive ministry of, of Jesus. And if we lock into that, then not only can we learn some beautiful lessons from people who society very often discards, we can actually learn what it means to be a faithful disciple. What about to those who 
find it difficult to escape clock time. You know, we live in this industrialised capitalist society where we have to get up to go to work to pay the rent or mortgage. How can those of us who find it difficult to escape clock time yeah. do so? Well, one of the things the book pushes into is, is the idea of Sabbath. You know, at one section, I begin to think about what Walter Brueggemann says about Pharaoh and the way that Pharaoh oppressed the people because, basically because he was anxious, anxious about uh, the possibility of a famine. If he didn't have his grain bats filled, then a terrible thing would happen. So what does God do in that situation? He speaks into that situation and says, take a rest, take a Sabbath, which sounds absolutely ridiculous. Because, you know, in a situation of oppression and injustice, to be suggested that you, you take a space and do nothing in it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, and yet it's in that space that they found, the people of Israel found reassurance, peacefulness, and the possibility of both escape and redemption. And I think the same thing runs within our uh, really busy uh, health and social care systems, for example, where you really don't have time to do a lot of the stuff that you want to do to be with people in that timeful way. But what you can do is begin to develop a sense of um, Sabbath moments. Moments in your day, even in the busyness of the day, where you can find even a short period of time to slow down. Because there's something about timefulness that relates to the way in which you look at people, rather than simply things that you do or don't do to people. So if you find Sabbath moments, then you can begin to see things differently. So. Uh, you can, if you think about the context of being with somebody who has advanced dementia, who for a lot of their lives uh, seem to be distant, seem to be uh, not quite with you, sometimes you just lock into them and they lock into you and you find this little space here. That's kind of a, an illustration of what a Sabbath moment is. It may only last for a few seconds, but you find it and it's encouraging and you recognise that God is there with you and you go back into the busyness of the day. A lot of people today, when they're asked how, how they're doing, say, I'm busy. It's become the sort of new way of saying I'm doing okay. Yeah. Um, so do you think there's a status attached to busyness? And has busyness become an idol in our culture? Business isn't a badge of honour. Like, you know, because if I say to you, um, What's your, what does your day look like? And you say, well, I'm not much doing. <laughs> like, apart from the fact that your boss is going to be very angry with you, you think, oh, this guy's wasting his time. He's, he's lazy, he's slothful. Yeah. And so busyness becomes the way in which we get self-esteem. So rather than the fact that we just love one another and want to be with one another as being the primary source of identity and self-esteem, it's what we do, it's always what we do, rather than what we receive. So I think uh, uh, one of the things that I want to try to suggest in the book is that uh, we need to reframe or rethink what busyness means and what the point of our busyness is. Because busyness for business' sake is meaningless. There's no end goal to it. Precisely, yeah. Oh, there's an end goal to it, but it's you. Right, it's the self. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in God's time, the end goal is redemption or, or God? The end goal is God, ultimately, and the love of God, and be able to enjoy that love of God uh, and, and to be together uh, immersed in that love, love of God. Yeah. You write in the book that time is fallen and needs redemption, and you say with the coming of Jesus, time has been radically reoriented. Could you unpack that a bit? Yeah, well, I, I'm really speaking into Augustine's understanding of, of, of time there. Uh, the idea that he was, he was kind of concerned about um, how God could be timeless and at the same time be involved in time. And the way that he resolved it, to, to cut a long story short, 
the way he resolved it was that he, he concluded that time is, is a creature. So time comes into existence when creation comes into existence. So therefore time is creaturely, it's, it's part of, of creation. And so when creation falls, time falls with it, which is why we're always ruled by time. Time is almost like a violence in our lives sometimes um, because it's fallen, it needs to be redeemed. And so what, one of the things I want us to think about is what does it mean to live and redeem time and to, to participate in the work of the Spirit as God redeems creation and as part of that redeeming time. So what you do with your time reveals something of the redemption that you're participating in. So just to slow down and pay attention, is, is that an act of Christian witness, really? It's an act of Christian witness, and it's, it's, it's kind of radically countercultural as well, because it stands against everything that people assume is the primary way in which you gain things, be that your, uh, monetary things or self-esteem or esteem from others. So it's a pretty radical thing to do. It's also a very difficult thing to do. Do you think churches fall into the trap of, of being slaves of time and they have lots of programmes and schedules and and is there sometimes an anxiety that they need to bring the kingdom and save the world? Um, this relates a little bit to where you talk about, um, I think it's um, Bart's soteriological objectivism, yeah. and the fact that we don't need to save the world so we can relax to some extent and slow down well it's certainly god's job to save the world it's our job to participate and 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 to fulfill our vocation in the sense of the things that god gives to us but i certainly i think that probably clergy have, a, have an issue with with um having to feel to having having to are feeling that they have always to be busy always to be seen to be busy uh, uh, and i think it's enabling uh clergy to slow down and take cognizance of the things that they may not notice in other ways is very important. Not least because if you look at the, the mental health statistics for clergy, it's a difficult job in terms of the way in which it impacts upon your life, upon your relationships, upon your mental health. And so disciplining yourself to begin to live into God's time, I think for the whole church is very important. And recognizing that God calls us to do things and that as disciples, we are participants and the responsibility of the redemption of the world is ultimately God's. Um, we've got to be faithful in our participation, but uh, salvation sits with Jesus. I like it when you say frenetic disciples may get a lot of things done, but in doing a lot of things, they may miss the very thing that God is doing. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't put it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> how might changing how we view time impact on how we see people who have neurological disabilities? Yeah, well, the issue around, at least around the three types of neurological difficulties I look at in this book, uh, intellectual disability, traumatic brain injury and um, dementia, is twofold. One, all of them push into what Western society assumes is the essence of human being a human, your intellect, your reason. And so all of them challenge at that level because people are not physically sometimes not able to move quickly, Certainly in terms of the way they think and the way that they articulate themselves, oftentimes they're very, very slow. And you really have to shift your gear completely to be with somebody who has a speech impediment, for example, that's caused by a brain injury. Because you always want to push it, you always want to give them words, you always want to move ahead of them. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's only when you begin to recognise how uh, enculturated and shaped and formed you are by cultural time that you don't have time for somebody who is really, really important that you begin to recognise that there's an issue. 
So these three experiences that people go through enable us to understand humanness differently and understand time differently in that way, but also to understand identity differently. So the thing about Bart's material objectivism uh, is that, that we are saved not by who we are or what we've done, but by who we are in Christ. And so it's picking up on all of Paul's language of being in Christ and recognising that actually our identity is found not in our memory, not in our ability to think who we used to be, but in who we are in Christ. And the fascinating thing about the in Christ language that Paul uses comes to a head in some senses in Colossians when he says, and who you are is hidden in Christ. So for all of us, our identity is kind of shady. We think we know who we are, but at certain points in your life, you suddenly realise you're not. So, for example, I used to, uh, I used to think uh, before I was a Christian, I used to think I was a quite a nice person. That was quite okay. I became a Christian. I suddenly discovered I'm a, I'm a horrible sinner, and I need redemption. Uh, now, uh, I had no idea that I was, that was what I was or who I was. And yet, in that instant, when I recognised that, my whole identity begins to change. Who I thought I was. It's not who I thought I was, I'm actually something else. And I, I now have to, to live into my new identity and, and to learn what it means to be in Christ. So in terms of humanness and human identity, these three uh, uh, human experiences of neurological damage uh, really begin to draw new ways of understanding and, and rethinking both time and humanness. So you write that time is a gift that is intended to be given away. Um, and you speak about how time poverty is a real problem for many people. Yeah. Um, can you just explain what, what time poverty is? Well, time poverty means, in the same way as poverty means an absence of social goods or an absence of economic goods, uh, time poverty is an, act, an absence of time. Uh, and so, for example, a busy mother who has maybe to hold in a part-time job, who has to look after her children, who doesn't get support from her family, is absolutely poverty-stricken in terms of time. She has no time for herself, no time to do the things that may bring her fulfilment. And all of us, to some extent, are, are, have time poverty. Some of it's self-inflicted. You know, if you're obsessed with your work and you just give all of your time to your work, then that's really your own fault. But if you, uh, if you for example, uh, have to work because you have to survive and you have to work you know, uh, 13, 14 hours a day and you have no space to be with your family, you have no space to be with yourself, no real space to be with God, then you're poverty-stricken in that sense, in a, in a timeful sense. So it's something that just people have to be aware of, that there's a significant social dimension to, uh, uh, to the way in which time is allocated across society. And does the church have a particular role here to, for... for Christians to alleviate one another's burdens or bear one another's time burdens so in a congregation someone who's time rich actively helping someone who's time poor and you talk about the gift of respite that's nicely put actually and I think that is summed up in the, the whole idea of respite so in particular with the kind of folks that I'm, I'm talking about in this book who very often from from the, from the perspective of their family uh, it's a huge uh, responsibility to be able to care for something. I mean, there's the joys and there's blessings, but it's, it's very difficult to be able to care for somebody uh, who needs a, a high level of care over an extended period of time, i.e. years and years and years and years and years. Uh, and the, the one thing that um, Christian congregations can do is to give people the gift of time, give, to give them respite, to be able to enable them to do other things, to because if you're able to have a fulfilling life, you care better. 
So you're facilitating the process of care by alleviating the burdens of individuals and enabling them to do other things. It's better for the individual who is experiencing neurological uh, da uh, damage in whatever form. It's better for the family. It's better for the church and it's better for society. So sharing one another's burdens, I think, has a, a really important timeful component that I'm sure uh, resonates closely with what Jesus would have intended for that passage to be understood. That's it for this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find lots more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website www.churchtimes.co.uk If you're not yet a subscriber, why not take a look at our latest introductory offer, one month of our digital package and five issues of the paper for just £5. Go to www.churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe. The music, as always, was by Sort After Sounds. Don't forget to tune in next Friday for our next episode, and thanks for listening. Thank you.